0: Good evening, New York UPC family, and welcome to our digital broadcast. Tonight is Wednesday, May 5th, and I am here to be with you for Bible study. Welcome to all of our first-time guests and to all of you that normally come and are a part of this broadcast. We welcome you as well. For those of you familiar with our church campus, you should recognize that I am sitting in my office here at the church. And the reason is, is because We have been doing work on the church, and we're very excited. I'll share something with you about that in just a moment. Let me give the obligatory reminder to our first-time guests and to all of you who, for some reason, have forgotten the million times we've told you. Any question you have, that's exactly right. You can go to newrqpc.info. You see it scrolling on the bottom of your screen, and you can find out information there about everything that we are doing. You can contact us. Submit prayer requests, baptism requests, partner with us in giving, find Zoom information for small groups, join a small group, send in a prayer request. I already mentioned that. Join the prayer team. There are so many things that you can do. And so I encourage you to go and check out newarkupc.info. Make yourself available to that. Now, I already mentioned to you that I am sitting here in my office and you may notice that I am in my my work clothes, my normal relaxed work clothes, namely my white t-shirt. Yes, my black track pants. It happens to be the ones with the hole in the knees because we have been working for the last nine days. And uh, I want to show you a few pictures of some things that we've been doing. And uh, so here you see a picture of the vestibule in the fellowship hall. And those of you that don't recognize it, there is all new lighting in the entire fellowship hall. So instead of the fluorescent lights, you've got new halogen lights. Let me show you some others as well so that you can uh, get an idea. So here's the kitchen. It's been redone as well with regard to lighting. Men's bathroom is no longer a dungeon and the ladies room is no longer a dungeon either. And the fan works. And here's an example of the Fellowship Hall main area. You see that all lighting has been changed, and you can also see that we've changed the chandeliers, and I'm going to show you a picture of that in just a moment. Here is an example of what we were able to do, all kinds of different colors, and I know Kiara and her Kids Bible Night staff are excited about this new space. Now, I wanted cleaned up pictures for you all, but the day has just been long, and I haven't gotten it all done, so you're going to have to put up with seeing that obviously we are still working old tiles there. We've replaced every tile that's watermarked or scarred. And uh, so we're just sprucing the place up and getting things cleaned up. So we are excited as we are getting ready to come back to our physical campus within the next couple of months. And so hard work is happening. Let me take you over to the sanctuary because today our build back began. So we're excited about that. You see here that there's been uh Lighting has been redone underneath of the balcony area, and you can already see that painting work is happening there. Here's the painters. Uh, They've been priming and spackling and all of those kinds of things. Obviously, some work needed for our rooftop. Um, This is where the mold was a problem, and so they've ripped that out. That will be all built back and put in place, so we're excited about that. I'm also very excited That over the last nine days, as I have been working here at the church, I have had back a guest for a little while. District conference is this week. And uh, in fact, we will be uh, Friday. We will have district conference for the New Jersey, Delaware district. And so uh, right now uh, we have a couple of folks that we love dearly that are coming back for district conference. And one of them came in early to help with all of this electrical work. Here he is late one night when he was very tired after us working, and here he is just 15 minutes ago. He's hard at work now. I was hoping he could be on the broadcast, but he's still working at the last bits of electrical work. And so a big shout-out and thank you to Desi Lugo for helping me. And uh, really, my role has been helping him. And so we're really excited. And uh, Rachel's in the air right now headed down. Uh, to land in Philadelphia. So we're excited to have them here for a couple of days. Desi's been with me. We, over the last nine days, have put in, by the time today is over, we will have put in 90 hours of work. And so even though he may never know this, I'll tell him I said it, uh, we want to give a big thank you to Desi for his work. This would have cost us all the electrical work. If we'd have hired it done by uh, a company, it would have cost us thousands of dollars. And Desi was willing to come back. Thank you, Rachel, for sharing him as well. And, uh, and your pastor has been basically being the apprentice. And uh, Desi's taking great glee in having me do all the apprentice work. So during the broadcast tonight, if you hear a door banging or you hear some kind of sound or something like that, that's Desi hard at work finishing up the last bits of the project. We started with only one project. Desi come back and help us put in new lights for Kiara in the fellowship hall. Well, by the time we were done, every electrical problem on our campus got onto the to-do list. And with the exception of a few tiny things that I will finish up after this next week. oh, look at that. He turned my breaker on. I have lights. There he is. He's hard at work. Everything got put onto the list. We literally will have every electrical issue fixed on the campus. So I am very grateful to Desi for his hard work. So it's good to see everybody tonight. And I am here to teach you. For those of you that were supposed to have me on the schedule several times uh, this week, And I bailed out for one reason or another. You may not have known it. Thank you for allowing me to stay and work with Desi. And so we've been doing a good work. All right. So um, I want to start with a a, a verse of Scripture tonight um, that is that is very interesting. But first, I want to I want to remind you of our series and our theme this week. We're leading up to Mother's Day, which is this coming Sunday. And so uh, kind of our, our summary of, of this week is that life doesn't come with a manual. And I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, it doesn't come with a manual, but life does come with a mother. And so the idea is, is that mothers come in many different shapes and sizes with varied backgrounds and experiences, but all of our mothers are critically important to us, to us making life, to us growing up, because life doesn't come with a manual, but it comes with a mother. And uh, so tonight we're going we're gonna to take a look at another example of this, and, and I'm going to contribute a little bit of study here in relation to uh, mothers and this theme of mothers leading up to Mother's Day. But I want to start with a verse of Scripture here, and Caleb, I'm going to pop it up real quick here, that is familiar to most of you. It says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. And so this verse of Scripture is very, very important to us as Christians. It's the verse of Scripture that we use to talk about how important Scripture is and how Scripture is true and Scripture is trustworthy and Scripture is the foundation for everything we do. And at New York UPC, Scripture is what binds us together. We are a Spirit-filled church. We believe in the operation of the Spirit, But the spirit alone, because of our humanity and our brokenness, can sometimes get wonky. In other words, we don't properly follow the leading of the spirit. We don't properly hear the voice of the spirit. So part of what balances the spirit is this bedrock of the word of God. All of us submitting ourselves to scripture. That human element, the pages, the language uh, that we can read, that we can touch, that is the vehicle by which the word of god that is settled in heaven forever is translated to us is transmitted to us is the mechanism by which god presents himself to us and so scripture is critical and so this this passage of scripture all scripture is inspired by god we don't believe just humans wrote this yes humans wrote the word of god but it was not just humans but instead it was humans that were inspired by God. In fact, they were; these words were God-breathed, if you will. And it's useful to teach us what is true. We're in a world that we don't know what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is false. The scriptures teach us what is true, and it makes us realize what is wrong in our lives, not so we would be condemned, but so that we would be able to correct it. And so this passage of Scripture is very important. Many of you will recognize it. Uh, Some of you may recognize it in its King James Version. You know, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All right, so this passage of Scripture is important. But here's what's interesting to me. This passage of Scripture has a backstory to it. And in this backstory is a mother. And that's where I'm going to focus our attention primarily tonight, is to recognize that inside of this passage of Scripture, there is a backstory, and that backstory is about a mother. In fact, it's about two mothers. And so, Caleb, if you would, bring me up uh, my first uh, passage of Scripture. This is from 2 Timothy chapter number one. And so this is a the second letter by Paul to his son in the Lord by the name of Timotheus, or Timothy as we know him. And so he writes, he says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I have been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. I am writing to Timothy, my dear son. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. So this is the typical introduction of a letter. And then Paul says, Timothy, I thank God for you. That's an awesome statement. I I thank God for you. The God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again. So Timothy and Paul are not together, hence the letter. I long to see you again for I remember your tears as we parted. So there's a there's a bond between Timothy and between Paul and it's it's a two-way bond. Paul longs to see Timothy and Timothy is heartbroken when they have to part ways. And Paul goes on to say, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith. All right? So Paul is is commending Timothy, for his genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. Now, let's pause here for a moment on this verse of scripture. So, Lois is Timothy's grandmother, Eunice is Timothy's mother. And the Apostle Paul, in knowing Timothy's story, says, I remember your genuine faith. Now, Paul's using this in two different senses. Number 1 is is the ability to believe. Yes, that that is the that is a sense in which Paul is talking about it. But Paul is also using faith here in the sense of not just the ability to believe, but in fact the content of that belief. And in both cases, both the ability to believe and what Timothy believes, the content of his belief, Paul characterizes this as genuine, genuine faith. Everybody believes in something, but how genuine is it? How deep-seated is it? How much does it come from within the heart of that person? And how much does it define that person and make them what they are? And here Paul is saying to Timothy, "I, I, I remember your genuine faith. But the reason that this faith is present in Timothy, Paul says, is because you share the faith that first filled your grandmother and then filled your mother and then I can only infer by extension, then fills you. Now, a little piece of information that comes from another passage of Scripture, not Second Timothy, namely that we know that Timothy was not fully Jewish. His grandmother and his mother were Jewish, but his father was a Greek. Now, there's a whole story there. I don't know what that story is, but somehow, way. These Jewish ladies that lived in the diaspora, the dispersed Jews, they were not from Jerusalem, they were not from Palestine, but instead they were living in other places outside of Palestine, outside the role of the temple, and outside of where most of their, excuse me, where a huge population of their people lived. Somewhere, Lois, the grandmother, and Eunice, the mother, Somewhere in there, there came a marriage, a marriage that was not exactly optimal. Timothy's mother married a Greek, a Gentile, one who was not circumcised. And we know this because in Acts, Paul actually has Timothy circumcised because even though his mother was a Jew, his father was a Greek and he had not been circumcised. So you have a lot of cultural dynamics going on here. You have a lot of religious dynamics going on. And despite choices that were not perfect, and despite choices that we could even look at if we knew the backstory and we don't know the backstory, but if we, we could look at it with a judgmental eye and we could say, hmm, that was a bad move. Timothy's mom made a mistake. But what I want you to notice is that the Apostle Paul, Pharisee of the Pharisees, Jew of the Jews, the Apostle Paul said, There is within your grandmother, there is within your mother, and because of these two ladies, there is within you a genuine faith. There is this both content and ability to believe that is genuine, that is real. And I remember you for it, Timothy. I miss you. I wish to see you. How did that faith get in there? We know that Timothy had choices. Timothy had multiple cultural influences because his father being a Greek, it means half of his family were Gentiles. Half of his family did not believe in Yahweh of the Old Testament. Half of his family did not know God. And the reason we can infer this is because Timothy's father, if he had been a God-fearer, if he had been someone hanging around the synagogue, there's a very real chance that Timothy would have then in respect of his mother would have been circumcised, but he was not. So Timothy had choices. So the first thing I want to challenge everyone to understand is you do not need to have a pedigree and you do not need to have a perfect background and you do not need to have everything go well and you don't even need to have made all the right choices in order to have genuine faith. Mistakes are made. Sin is occurs. We're not supposed to do that. It doesn't please God. And we don't want to continue in that path. But I want to speak to somebody tonight and let you understand that if a mistake has been made, if a choice has been made that was not optimal, maybe it's even in direct disobedience to the word of God. I want you to understand, don't stop. Don't shut down. Because the God of grace and mercy can still work within your life. And as he works within your life, he can still produce within you faith. Faith that is genuine. But something about his grandmother and something about his mother, Paul says, this translated into Timothy's life. This became a part of his life. Despite what clearly was without the details, it was not the way God designed it. Jews were not supposed to marry Gentiles, and yet his mother was married to a Gentile. Timothy was both Jewish and Gentile. Talk about trying to figure out where you were and what your place in life was and, 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 and what your identity is. This was this, was, this was this young man, and Paul had taken him under his wing. He had brought him along on his mission trips, and, and they had they had entered into a mentor-mentee relationship. Timothy was one of his faithful ones along with Silas, and uh, along with um, so many other disciples that walked with Paul and would go and do his, his work as he could not be in every place at one time. You read within his epistles many people going on his behalf. Timothy was one of them. Paul had trained him. Paul had spent hours with him. And Paul says, this young man has genuine faith. Well, how can he have genuine faith? He's half Jewish and half Gentile the equivalent of what the Samaritans are. See, I need you to understand something, that your race, your ethnicity, your background, who your parents are, what was done right and what was done wrong in your past does not have to define your faith. And I want some mother out there to understand that even if your circumstances are not perfect, even if your circumstances are not optimal, you can pass on to your children genuine faith. You can train them in such a way That despite the less than optimal environment, the less than optimal choices, the less than optimal um, just context in which you are trying to live out life in this, in following Christ, you can pass on to your child genuine faith. Lois and Eunice passed on to their grandson and to their son genuine faith. All right. Caleb, let's go on with the next verse. So the Apostle Paul, after referring to this genuine faith, says, this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Now, I want you to see this. Not only can you have genuine faith, but God can use you. I want you to understand something, that Newark UPC is a church that is focused upon every single person having the opportunity to to be a disciple of Jesus. I don't care what your background is. I don't care where you're coming from. I don't care what kind of mistakes you've made. This is a church where God can work in your life. And the exciting thing about it is, is even when things are not optimal, God still can use you. And Apostle Paul is referring to a time where Timothy was anointed, if you will, where Paul laid his hands upon him and He's reminding Timothy to fan into flames that spiritual gift that God gave him when Paul laid his hands on him. Next verse, Cable. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Now, I want everybody to pause here because this is another... Verse that is we we quote this all the time. God's not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline or of a sound mind. But notice where it's being applied. This is not about whether you're scared of the dark. Okay. This is not about whether you're jumpy. This verse is not about the way that we typically apply it. Paul is using this verse to talk about Timothy. You do not need to be ashamed to tell others about the Lord. Because of who you are. You have an anointing. You have been called. You have been placed in the body. There are so many of you that are setting yourselves aside. You're you're looking at your pedigree. You're looking at your background. You're looking at where you're coming from. And you're looking at all that's wrong. And you're going, well, I can't do that. Oh, I'm so glad to be a part of the kingdom. But I can't do that. And I'm here tonight to tell somebody that if Timothy can do it, so can you. If Paul can do it, so can you. If I can do it, so can you. Every one of us have been called to make disciples. This is not about your skills, and this is not about your background. This is not about whether you have the right cultural context. This is about the work of God within you. Through the anointed hands of Paul, Timothy had a spiritual gift within him. And the apostle Paul said, do not let a spirit of fear and timidity enter into you. You through God have power, you through God have love, and you through God have self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. You see, the ability to tell others the good news is not just the providence or the responsibility of preachers. I'm going to come to this in just a moment, okay? It's not just that, because here's the problem. We've got definitions about who are preachers and what preaching is that are not biblical. They don't work. We've made them up. They're culturally defined and we've made up all kinds of rules about them. And I don't know where they all came from. I don't know why they all came into existence. But the problem is, is remember what I said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Or as the NLT says, it, it is profitable to tell us what is right and it's profitable to tell us where we're wrong. Scripture is what binds us together. Not our culture, not our background, not our religious beliefs. Scripture. Scripture is where God has revealed himself to us. So we've got this idea that, you know, I've got to have this certain pedigree or I've got got to have this certain calling. No. Timothy was a half-breed. He was half-Jewish and half-Greek. Paul, before Jesus, would have had nothing to do with Timothy. After Jesus, he takes Timothy with him and says, Come work with me in the kingdom. You see, barriers get broken down when we work within the kingdom, because God is not interested in the walls of partition, if you will, or the separation that exists in our world. No, they're to be torn down. We are to be engaged in relationship, real relationship, one with another. And the power of God that creates that real relationship, that is the mechanism by which we share the gospel. Not our skills, but God. Not a spirit of fear and timidity, but of love, power, and self-discipline. All right, Caleb, give me the next verse. Let's keep moving because my time is moving away from me. So the Apostle Paul goes on, he says, And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for Christ. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. All right? For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. Who saved us? God did. See, you got to understand something. This whole thing, this whole Christian walk is not really about us. It's not about your performance. It's not about your skill. It's about God saving us. It's about God doing the work within us. He did this. Why did he save us? Why did he call us to live a holy life? He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time. It was his plan, not our plan, his plan. To show us his grace through Jesus Christ. Well, wait a minute, preacher. I I thought I had to perform. I thought I had to do things the right way. No, 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 no. It was in order to show his grace. See, God is a God of grace. Yes, he demands obedience. But in the midst of that obedience, there is a measure of grace. And if you don't think there's a measure of grace, then I'm going to ask you a simple question. Who do you think has enabled you to be obedient? You think you did that on your own? Well, you didn't. Where do you think forgiveness comes from when you fail? Why don't fail since I've received the Holy Ghost? Liar. Yep, I just called you out. Are you pointing at yourself? I know you're on the other side of a screen and I can't see you, but are you pointing at yourself? If you're pointing at yourself or you're thinking in your mind, is he talking about me? Yes, I'm talking about you. Anyone who says that they have not sinned, this is what the Apostle John wrote in one of his epistles, anyone who says they have not sinned is a liar, and the truth is not in them. Well, I sinned before Jesus. I I haven't sinned afterwards. Liar? It's not true. You do not earn the right to speak for Christ. In fact, your brokenness is the mechanism by which you, through the power, through the love, and through the self-discipline, of the spirit are able to tell others about Jesus because you are broken just like them, but you have met a God who's working within you. You see the grace of God in operation in our life is how we become obedient, not the other way around. We're not obedient and then we get grace. We get grace, which then empowers us step by step to become obedient. All right. Everybody give me a thumbs up on that. That's the amen. I need an amen right now. I need some people that understand that you are not earning the grace of God. The grace of God is given to you and by the grace of God and by his mercy and by his power, you are becoming righteous and holy and true before God. Come on. Give me some thumbs up. I need everybody to wake up there. Don't be asleep. I'm going to head for the landing strip, but I I got to get a couple more things in. So then the Apostle Paul goes on, he says, now he has made all of this plain to us. So all of this is plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He, Christ Jesus, broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. The very thing that Timothy is supposed to not be afraid or timid about sharing is this good news. All right, Caleb. And God chose me, Paul says. To be a preacher an apostle and a teacher of this good news now let me let me park here for just a moment let me park here for just a moment God chose me to be a preacher an apostle and a teacher of this good news are those in are, are those in 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 rank you know he's first an apostle and he's second a preacher and he's third a teacher is there is there some kind of pecking order going on here? I would submit to you tonight, it's interesting, if there is something that the Apostle Paul fights and writes more about than any other topic, it's his apostleship. And what is apostleship? Someone who is sent. The fact that he was called by God and not called by human. But notice here, he says, God has called me to be a preacher. Well, that, that's the guy behind the pulpit, right? No. God has called me to be a preacher. Well, that, that's that's the one who who leads the church, right? No. God has called me to be a preacher. That, that's that's the one that that's the one who runs everything. As my son Vincent, when he was very young, uh, told the told a whole gaggle of people who were standing around, he said, "My dad runs this place." Well, let's just say Vincent got a little bit of a talking to. I'm not sure if it was just through his ears; it might have been through the seat of his pants when we got home, because it was a wrong attitude and a wrong spirit. So, preachers are the ones that run everything, right? Wrong. I want you to hold on to that word right there. God has chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. All three are related to what? The good news. The good news. See, the problem is, church, is we have forgotten that this is not about us. This is about the good news. This is not about your role in the body. It's about the good news. This is not about your title. This is about the good news. What is Timothy to not be timid and afraid of doing? Sharing the good news. This is what it's all about. All right, Caleb, let's go on. But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach. You, Timothy, you know how I live. Timothy, you know what my purpose in life is. You know my faith. You know my patience. You know my love, and you know my endurance. Timothy, you know me. You know me. All right, let's go. You know how much persecution. You know how much suffering I've endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, but the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. But you, Timothy, you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. Now, just for all of you that know, I forget how far back, but somewhere in here, we jumped from chapter 1 to chapter 3, all right? I neglected to put in a a slide to tell you when that happened, but a couple of verses back, we jumped from chapter 1 to chapter 3. But remember, genuine faith... Now Paul reminds Timothy in this letter later he says you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught you know they are true for you know you can trust those who taught you well who 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 taught him grandma and mama grandma and mama so here you have a young man that the apostle Paul is instructing Based upon his genuine faith, not to be timid and not to be scared, to share the good news. And he's called upon to be remain faithful. You've got genuine faith, Timothy. You got it from your grandma and you got it from your mama. And you know the things that you've been taught are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. Next verse. You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood. And they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. What's he been taught? What's grandma been teaching him? What's mama been teaching him? The holy scriptures. You've been taught these. From when? From a childhood. Next verse. And here is where we started. All scripture is inspired by God. And all scripture is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses Scripture to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Whoa, pause right there. Wait, pause right there. Wait, 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 wait. God uses the Scripture to prepare and equip his preachers, right, to do his good work. God uses his Scriptures to prepare and equip his teachers, He he does this to take care of the lead pastors, right? He does this to take care of the pastoral team. He does this to take care of the leaders. No, that's not what it says. Timothy, genuine faith was taught to you by your grandmother and your mother. How'd they teach you genuine faith? By teaching you the scriptures. Now, what do you do with those scriptures? Those scriptures are the means by which you know what is right and what is wrong. You are corrected by God. He uses it to prepare and equip his people his people. Not a select group of his people, all of his people. Go forward. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God, Timothy, and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Now we're at chapter four. Preach the word of God. Oh, there we go. That's your job, Steve. You're supposed to preach. Wait a minute, Caleb, go back one verse. Now, one more verse. This, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. This scripture corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Two verses later, two verses later, Timothy, the one with genuine faith, the one whose grandmother and mother have taught him, he now is told to preach the word of God. Uh, You all remember, there are no chapters and verses when these letters are written. So there's no break in thought here, ladies and gentlemen. Timothy is a believer, one with genuine faith, who's called upon by Paul not to be timid and not to be afraid, to share the good news. And now he's being told, just as I referred to again, to preach that word of God. Do you know what that word preach means? It doesn't mean stand behind a pulpit. It means to proclaim. It means to announce. All that you need in order to proclaim is the authority of the person who gave the message and the correct message. Did you hear me, church? All you need To proclaim. All somebody in the ancient world needed to do in order to preach or proclaim or announce something is to have the authority of the person who the message was from and to have the accurate message. Oh, somebody needs to hear me tonight. Just because my voice is elevated and just because I'm animated right now, you need to understand something. Preaching is not about the delivery style. Preaching is not about whether I'm animated or whether I'm some other form. Preaching is about the authority of the person from whom the message comes and the proper message. Ladies and gentlemen, when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you received power to be witnesses unto Jesus. Stop abdicating it. Stop letting go of it. Stop thinking that you're not a part of it. Stop putting it over to the preacher. Every one of us has particular roles within the body, but every one of us is called to share, to proclaim, to announce, to preach the good news. We've made some bad assumptions, and they don't have basis in the scripture. Well, there's something special about preaching that's different than teaching. Show it to me in scripture. You saw the Apostle Paul use preacher, apostle, and teacher all in the same sentence to talk about the same topic, namely sharing the good news. Caleb, give me my last verse. Preach the word. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct. Rebuke and encourage your people with good teaching. Oh, wait a minute. I thought that thought there was a big difference between preaching and teaching. If there is, why the Apostle Paul kind of mashing it all together? Here's my point. A grandmother and a mother planted within their grandson or son a genuine faith, a faith founded in the scriptures, which are inspired by God. Those scriptures carry within them the good news of the gospel. And each of us has a call to share that good news. Some people will hear that good news from me and others will need to hear it from you. And mamas and daddies, you play a pivotal role. Now, as questions start to come in, Caleb, you probably should have already popped that up, but I was on a roll. Maybe you've already been rolling it out or announced it. But as they're co- starting to come in, I want to take a moment and I want to give a um, a little bit of a shout out to my mom. My mom and my dad together are the ones who taught me that everything had to have its foundation in the Word. My parents, when I was younger, if I could show them in the Word. They would correct their behavior to conform to the word. That was a challenge for a little boy. And I did it a couple of times. I would find something that they were not quite the way that it was supposed to be. And if I could show it within the word, I was so impressed by my father and my mother that they would conform to that. They taught this church. That what binds us together is, yes, the spirit of God, but what also binds us together is that our common authority is not in a man or a woman. It's not in a particular culture, but it is in the word of God. I also had another couple who influenced me alongside of my mom and my dad, whose names were Marvin and Claudette Walker. Brother and sister Walker also through the ministry of Bible quizzing compelled us Bible quizzers to recognize the foundation that the word of God provided. So you got to understand something about me. If it's in the word, that's what we need to do. If it's not in the word, we might be able to do it. But it doesn't have the same authority. And culture and customs do not stand up to the interrogation of the word. The word is the foundation of everything. Now, there's another interesting thing that also happened, and here I want to kind of talk and and pick up on Paul with his genuine faith in Timothy. My mother and my father, but particularly my mother, insisted that it was not good enough for me to know the word. My mom, night after night, after we had read the word of God together and we had prayed, would look at me and say, son, you need a genuine relationship with God. You need a personal relationship with God. You need to know his voice. I can tell you today, the reason that I know the voice of God is because my mother, I, I, she would not back up. In fact, she used to get me so upset and then she'd go to bed and I'd sit there and I would cry and I would talk and I, my dad was much more patient and hanging with me. Mom was just pretty black. Get a relationship with God. And she was pretty blunt about looking at me and going, you don't have one yet. Ladies and gentlemen, I am glad for the genuine faith that was placed within me. Faith that is not rooted in humanity. Faith that is not rooted in culture. Faith that is not rooted in anything but the word of God and the spirit of that same God that overshadowed that word. You're going to be a Christian? You need to know God. You need to know God. It started for Timothy with his grandmother and his mother. Guess what? With all due respect to my dad and everything he contributed to me, I know God. I know his voice because my mother, little five foot two, eyes of blue, would just simply look at me and say, you must know the voice of God. Mothers are important. Mothers are critical. Life doesn't come with a manual, but it does come with a mother. All right, Caleb, do we have questions?
1: We certainly do. So, one question from Regina Moss Beardsley. Uh, how do you suggest mothers and fathers teach their kids, as the Old Testament says, as you get up and lay down as you are home and walk by the way? But how? All right. So the first thing, the
0: most powerful thing, is how you live. Modeling is the most important way that we teach. Think about how your children learn language. Do you sit them down in a classroom? You hand them a textbook, you know, you're 18 month old. Do you, do you sit them down and begin to teach them using the typical classroom method? No, you go about your life and they watch. And as they watch, they learn. This is still true. Even when you're past the point where um, they're babies or they're fully dependent upon you. And so the first thing is, is modeling is critical. Modeling is not only showing them what to do, but it's showing what to do when you've done wrong. It's how you act in every aspect. Your children are watching you. And so that's the first thing. Second thing is, is yes, you need to keep open lines of communication. You need to be talking to your children. If your life's too busy to spend time talking to your children, then life is too busy. In fact, my children have been a little ornery over the last nine days because they've been teasing me about the fact that I just sleep at the house, which frankly, over the last nine days, that's exactly all I do. I literally come home, fall into bed or take a shower, fall into bed, sleep, and then I'm gone before most of them are up again. If that were sustained, even for several weeks, it's going to have a detrimental effect. So how you craft your life is not only teaching them because they're watching you but then how you craft your time. You have to have time with them. And it's not all lecture. You got to do life together. And then in the midst of doing life together, things will show up, opportunities to, to speak to them or to explain things. And if you give that opportunity, then they can ask questions. And so keeping lines of communication open are extremely critical too, because you don't know what they need to learn until they're able to ask you. Well, they can't ask you if you're not present. You can't be present if you don't have control of your life. So modeling, number one, number two, being present and having lines of communication open. Number three, teach them the word. It's as simple as that. Find a mechanism. If you don't want to use Bible quizzing, what are you going to use? Okay. If you don't want to use Bible quizzing, what are you going to use? How are you going to teach them the word of God? And I'm talking more than just biblical literacy, though that's important. How are you going to teach them the word of God? I think that's probably a long enough answer for that question. Let's move on to another.
1: So then we have a question from Joyce. How do you pass on genuine faith? Can you pass and build it in others who you're in contact with, like friends and neighbors? Okay, so here's the interesting thing.
0: Paul uses language. I know where you got your genuine faith. I would argue that in some senses we misread that. What he's talking about is I know the source of your genuine faith, but it's not something Joyce that you can pass on. It's something you can model. It's something that you can give an example of, but in the end, faith is arrived at only by the choice of the person. If I had the ability to actually control whether somebody had faith or not, all of you would have faith, not just my children. I'd take control of everybody and I would make sure that they had faith, but that's the problem because faith is something that you have to choose. But I believe that what Paul is talking about when speaking of Timothy's genuine faith, and I know where it came from, it came from your grandmother and from your mother. Again, I think it has to do with the question asked before, which is how do we teach this? How do we share this? It's this modeling. It's this exposure. It's what we talk about. It's how we communicate. It's in the air. But ultimately, the person has to choose it. They have to commit to it. My mother could every night insist, Steve, get a personal relationship with God. But in the end, I had to choose to do so. And many of you have heard the story. At 12, I chose to to, to tell God I would serve him. At 16, I chose chose to tell God, okay, I will do it your way. And I haven't looked back. I've not been perfect. I've not done everything right, but I have not backed away from that. That was my choice. My parents... They could stack the deck. They could make it hospitable to do so. They could make it hard not to do so. But ultimately, it came down to my decision. I had to choose to do it.
1: All right. Then there is a question from Pastor Debbie. In today's world, there are women who are ordained to preach. How does that fit in with the word? Ah, excellent question. So first of all, this
0: whole ordained is a problem because it does not have uh, very good scriptural backing, all right? We pick up things like the Apostle Paul laying hands upon Timothy, but notice what the gift that he refers to is. It's not this ministry track. It's a uh, spiritual gift within you that you're not to be timid to share about the gospel. And so I would argue that we've got all kinds of language that's that's all messed up. Okay, now I'm an ordained minister because we do have culture, we do have structure, and human organizations use these. There's local and general and ordination, or others use just ordination. So I'm not throwing that out, but I am telling you it's not biblical. You don't have Bible backing for that. You have within the Scriptures the idea that there are elders that can be appointed. Okay, and the language there is is that other elders would lay their hands upon them. But notice. The word is elder. It's not minister. It's not preacher. It it is elders. And so here's the problem. The New Testament is pretty clear that women have available to them all of the same functions within the body of Christ as men do. Why? Because the Apostle Paul says that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. There's neither bond nor free. Notice all three of those existed. So there were men and women together in the church. There were Jews and Gentiles together in the church. And there were slaves and free persons together in the church. But Paul says when you walk in the church doors, those lines of separation, they don't exist in Christ for we're all one in Christ. So my simple answer is that it's not just in today's world that there are women who are ordained to preach. There were women ordained to preach in Paul's world. One example. The apostle Paul wrote one of the greatest letters, theological letters. It was his most important letter because he was writing to probably a mostly Jewish audience that he had never met. They had heard stories about this Paul, stories that made them distrust him. And this letter is known as Romans. Do you know who delivered or preached Or spoke, or proclaimed, or announced this letter, a lady named Phoebe. So, our problems are that we have built up structures that are not based in the Word. They're not founded in the Word. So, when we find ourselves looking at things, asking questions, and going at things from a vantage point that simply the scripture does not. Uh, Establish or back up It's time to flush those ideas Okay Many times we come with questions that are Informed by our culture, our background, our experiences And we want the scriptures to answer Them but the problem is is the scriptures don't Answer them because God never Thought you were going to go there It's not a question That he has an answer for So when the scripture is silent you got to ask Yourself where that come from Where the idea come from so when it comes to ordination, I know we use the Timothy passage. Uh, I'm sure, Sister Debbie, you know that I was very strategic in using that whole thing. Preach the word, be us in, in season, out of season. That's one of the ones that we use all the time in ordination services. Well, I got bad news for you. Uh, I don't see any ordination of, of, of Timothy going on here. I hear a young man who has genuine faith, who's been taught the scriptures from his childhood, being told not to be timid about sharing the gospel. And it's that context of sharing the gospel in which you preach, you proclaim, you teach, you share the good news. Every one of us is called to share that good news. Well, what about that special class of people, man? Preacher, don't you need to guard yourself? Don't you need to make sure you're still special? I'm not convinced I do. Why don't we let God call each of his individual members of the body as he sees fit? Wait a minute. That sounds like scripture. Oh, that's because it is scripture. Why don't we let God put together the various members of the body and grow them up together into himself with himself being the head? Wait a minute. That sounds like scripture. Why don't we let each member of the body be the unique member of the body while also recognizing that we're all members of one body who has only one head of authority, namely Christ? Oh, wait a minute. That's scripture. All right, I've probably hammered that point enough. (laughs) If not, ask another question about
1: it. So uh, here's a question from Sister Betty. Uh, How do you teach your faith in a divided home while still making sure that your child shows respect to his or her other parent?
0: Sister Betty, you threw me a softball. Thank you so much. You must have known it was a softball. It's a challenging question, but it's a softball tonight because here's the deal. We know it can be done because... Timothy came from exactly that home. So the challenge is, is to understand that when speaking to your child, whether through your modeling or through your communication, there is no reason that standing for truth has to be done so in a nasty way. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, if. An unbelieving spouse is willing to live with you in peace. Live with them. Because your witness, both what you do and what you say, may well bring them to Christ. Now, what's implied within that statement? What's implied in that statement is not that you can force somebody to believe. Human choice is still involved. But what's implied is that there's power in our witness. So I would say to you sister Betty that part of how we teach our faith in a divided home is that we understand the principles of the scripture and we live those out. So Jesus says love your neighbor, love your enemy. Well, if you're supposed to love your enemy and love your and love your neighbor as well, your spouse, the, the divided home spouse, it's got to be somewhere between your neighbor and your and, and your enemy. <laughs> I know on some days they might feel like your enemy, your spouse does, and other days they might feel like your neighbor, but they've got to be somewhere in that range. Love them and show your child how to love them. That is Christ-like. When you live out your life, let your child see how you treat the unbelieving spouse or the spouse who doesn't believe like you. Model for them. True, genuine Christianity never fails. So our modeling, our speech, think about what it's like to be the other spouse, living with a Pentecostal. Ask yourself, what does that look like? Don't turn it into adversarial, but turn it into an opportunity. All of these things, I believe, were going on both with the grandmother and with the mother, and Timothy's watching. Ultimately, the child's going to have a choice to make. But what you're doing is you're trying to stack the deck you're trying to give them every opportunity to know what a genuine faith is and in the end they're going to have to choose and you can't control that just like i I, both regina and i are believers and each of our children have to choose we can't force them now i'm going to stack the deck as much as i can but i still can't force them so i honestly believe that living in the manner that we're called to as Christians, while there are different applications, the principles are the same. Whether I'm living with a spouse who believes or one who doesn't believe, as long as they're willing to live with me, they're not adversarial. They're not abusive. They're not contrarian. Now, if you're facing that, that's a whole other set. That's a whole other set of challenges.
1: All right. So the last question we have is from mom again. Uh, so from a biblical standpoint, what is the church's responsibility and what is the parent's responsibility? I suppose the question is in regards to like, Ray, I guess it would kind of line up with her question before, you know, teaching their kids. So in, as far as that, what is the church's responsibility and what's the parents? All right. First of all, parents, you've got bad
0: modeling in our society. Our society has taught you that there are certain things that you're not as well equipped to do and therefore not only may you, but in some places you must turn over the responsibility to someone else. This is not biblical at all. So the problem with that is Is then when it comes time for your children and their relationship with God. How you raise them. You might approach it with that same mentality. Well, that's the church's responsibility. Hear me very clearly. The church has zero responsibility for your children. You have 100% responsibility for your children. Now, as a member of the body of Christ, collectively, we then, as parents of our children, as friends of parents of our children, as fellow brothers and sisters of parents of children, we obviously want a community and an environment where we're all living out our Christianity, where we're all living out what it is to be a Christian that that environment would be optimal for our children. And that's where the church comes into play. But the word responsibility, and again, I'm not sure what Regina meant by that, but I'm going to read that word responsibility. Please show me in the scripture where the church is responsible for children. I can show you plenty of places where parents are responsible for children. I can't show you places within the scripture where the church is responsible for children. It doesn't mean that the church does not contribute to the life of children. But it's done so by us being Christians, by us living it out in community. In other words, if there were no children, we would be living it out in community. And that optimal environment is the environment in which children are cared for. Does that mean I'm going to cancel kids Bible night? No. Why is it wrong for us to do it? But if all your children are getting about God happens on kids' Bible night, you're failing as a parent. You got to do more than that. You got to own the responsibility about that because most of what they're learning, they're learning from your modeling. They're learning from your communication. They're learning by interacting with you, not 45 minutes, an hour, two hours, three hours, even five or 10 hours a week with other people can others contribute yes can they walk alongside of you yes because we do christianity in community but are we responsible no we are responsible to bear witness to the gospel period any other questions caleb
1: no, that was the last one, and we are exactly at 8 o'clock. So I guess well, that's Well, look at that. Timing. The
0: timing worked perfect. Thank you, everyone, for joining us tonight. I appreciate you being here, and I hope that you enjoyed the study tonight. I'm looking forward to the rest of the week as we continue to look at and lead up to Mother's Day on Sunday. You don't want to miss it. There's a particular speaker on Sunday that is going to be great. You don't want to miss it. And uh, so, again, let me remind you about newerQPC.info right on cue, Caleb. Thank you. You can find out all the information you need about us there. We thank you for being with us tonight, and I hope that you have a great rest of your evening, that you rest well, and that you have a great day tomorrow. Let me, in closing, mention to all of you, if you've missed it, the announcement, check your email. One of our elders has passed away, Brother Herman Klein. His funeral will be tomorrow. And so uh, please understand there are restrictions with regard to COVID and number of people. And so please be aware of that plan. uh, If you are coming to visit, that probably you're only going to be able to visit for a moment and then be able to move on. Uh, May not be able to stay for the service. Or if you wait in your cars, then you could join outside at the internment if you'd like to do that. But all of that is tomorrow. Again, check your emails. And uh, if you've got any questions about that, that's not clear, call the church office. And uh, we'll be sure to uh, help you out with that. So with that said, thank you, everyone, for being with us tonight. God bless you. Have a great night, everybody. Good night.